This is Reset. I'm Jen White. It's Friday, and that means it's time for our Friday News Roundup, when we break down the biggest local and state news of the week. New developments tonight on the controversy over an explosive email from a confidant of House Speaker Mike Madigan hinting at a rape cover-up. The email, first reported by WBEZ Radio, is from former lobbyist Mike McClain, who has for decades been one of Mike Madigan's closest confidants. He has kept his mouth shut on Jones's ghost workers, the rape in Champaign, and other items. The email read, he is loyal to the administration. Illinois Comptroller Susanna Mendoza says starting next month, her office will no longer help suburbs collect fines for red light camera tickets. Joining me now to break down those stories and more, WBEZ state politics reporter Tony Arnold, Better Government Association president and CEO David Greising, and Shia Kapos, reporter and author of the Political Illinois Playbook newsletter. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome. Hey, Hello. good to be here. So let's start with that news out of Springfield. The top lobbyist, close confidant of Illinois House Speaker Michael Madigan, hinted at a rape cover-up and about apparent ghost payrolling in an email obtained by WBEZ. Tony, you are one of the reporters who broke this story. Just remind us of everything that's happening right now. This is an email that I obtained through a a freedom of information request to the governor's office um, looking into emails that McLean had sent to the previous few administrations of governor, mainly the chiefs of staffs of the last few governors, going back about 10 years. I got several responses back, uh, a couple hundred pages of emails, but this one uh, stopped me in my tracks when I read it. And we felt it was obligated to put this out there. So um, there's still some mysteries uh, four days later after publishing about what McLean is referring to in this email. And we're working to to solve those mysteries in the most respectful way that we possibly can. Well, Governor J.B. Pritzker said he found the content of the email to be, quote, horrific. Here's a bit of Pritzker speaking about that yesterday. The subject of this email is horrific. You can't read this email and not see a lot of things wrong. In order to get the answers, we've got to do an investigation. We've got to figure out what the real facts are. And then we've got to hold those accountable who are you know, responsible for perpetrating either the crime, the cover-up, or the threats that are associated, I think, in that email. Tony, is he making any moves to investigate the contents of this email? When Pritzker uh, was fulfilling my Freedom of Information request, his office, uh, when the lawyers saw this, they also forwarded the email on to the what's called the Executive Inspector General. It's basically the big watchdog for the state government, and that's where this stands right now as far as the governor's office is concerned. You might imagine there's been lots of calls for action since the story published. I, just my my back of the napkin list here about where things stand. So the governor's office forwarded this on to the state inspector general, executive inspector general. Several congressmen this morning asked for the attorney general, Kwame Raul, to appoint a special prosecutor to look into this. I'm still awaiting word from the AG's office about where that stands. Uh, Senate Re- uh, Republican leader Bill Brady f- called on the state police to investigate this. Several lawmakers have asked the U.S. Attorney's Office and Champaign County State's Attorney's Office to open investigations into the email. And the House Republican leader, Jim Durkin, called on legislative hearings into the matter, including with a committee that would have subpoena power to compel these people to come forward and uh, on the email who aren't answering our questions, to come forward, testify to lawmakers, and um, address this. Um, but that was shot down by Speaker Madigan. I want to get your reactions to this news, David and Shia. Shia, I'll come to you first. Everybody was so horrified by it. 
it's not like this was 20 years ago when, you know, men in the business might have spoken that way and women knew they had their place in the world somehow. This was just a few years ago. I mean, and the the conversation in that email was so casual, just, you know, he's listing, listing his... Uh, what he did so well at the office, and by the way, he didn't speak about a rape. It is absolutely stunning, and it's stunning that it made its way to the governor's office. Whether Governor Quinn saw it or not, we of course don't know. And it's upsetting that it that nothing was done at that point. To think that somebody was raped and people would so cavalierly have covered it up is just disgusting and disheartening. Of course, in this day and age, we also start turning to the politics of this. Uh, This is happening in the context of this very wide-ranging federal investigation that seems to be circling around House Speaker Mike Madigan. And Mike McLean is one of Madigan's closest compatriots in state government and one of the most successful lobbyists in the state by virtue of his relationship with Madigan. It was interesting to see how Governor Pritzker when first asked about this, said, you know, asked if he was going to do anything with Madigan on this. I think he at first said, well, it's not Madigan's email. And then his staff very quickly put out a statement saying the governor had called Mike Madigan. And so uh, how and if this ever does end up touching Mike Madigan, it's like so many other things in in state politics and in this wide-ranging federal probe. Uh, There's a lot of kind of connections to Madigan, but often not very direct, and this seems to be perhaps another instance. And we don't know whether federal prosecutors were looking at this or not. My motive for filing this Freedom of Information request in the first place was really, McLean's name has been out there. People have known him, obviously, in in Springfield for decades. Uh, He's one of the most powerful lobbyists that there are in Springfield. He's retired now. But he was a longtime lobbyist for ComEd, and his name's been in all over the news for that connection because ComEd's been under federal investigation for its lobbying activities. And uh, the Tribune and their excellent reporting that they've done over there about into this matter, into the ComEd investigation, into Michael McLean, they've reported that the feds actually tapped McLean's phone. Um, and so my motive was to see, okay, well, what kind of access, what kind of influence did McLean have with some of the most powerful people in state government over the last 10 years? That's why I filed that Freedom of Information request for his emails to chiefs of staff. And this email, it shows what kind of access and clout that he had. And if there's any doubt about that, just look at the email he sent to the same people the next day when, um, you know, he's asking for leniency for a state worker who's about to uh, face discipline. Forrest Ashby, we should say. Forrest Ashby, who uh, won't return my calls. And (laughs) McLean writes, I do not know what happened, but I know nothing happens accidentally. His disciplinary meeting was postponed. You know, Tony said something about we don't know what the feds are looking at. And one thing interesting about this is it has developed this, all this stuff is the reporting and some of the federal investigations seem to go a little bit hand in hand. A lot of times, as I'm guessing would be happening after your disclosure, I wouldn't be surprised if the feds are now looking into this. We've seen this at the BJ with an investigation we did into Lyons, and now we've seen that Mayor Chris Getty and Lyons got subpoenas as a result of our investigation. So I think it's heartening to see the press play the role that it is playing. And one of the other things I think you found, Tony, earlier was the McLean uh, email that went out with the, uh, I'm doing this on behalf of my friend, this this list of key lobbyists in the state and his the magic big, lobbyist the, list. The, the magic lobbyist list. And that was your story, I think. And the, uh, my you know, colleague, Dan Milopoulos and Dave McKinney. Okay, that one. I don't okay. want to take credit for well, their work. They, they're, <laughs> they're great colleagues. Yeah. They, they sure ahead. are. They're, they're both great reporters. And, uh, you know, it's just very interesting. We're getting, for the first time ever, a real inside look into 
how the machine in Springfield works, both through what the feds are revealing and what some of the reporters are finding on their own. Well, speaking of Dan Mihalopoulos and Dave McKinney, they caught up with Michael McLean, who sent the email uh, yesterday afternoon. Let's listen. In terms of any kind of cooperation, I mean, is it something that, that you've been asked to do by the feds to cooperate in this or not? Uh, they've asked. And is it something that you are entertaining or, or that, that you are doing? I, I'll just say they asked. Yeah. But, so, I mean, it would be hard to betray someone like Mike Madigan. It would be hard to betray myself. So that's Dave McKinney there asking Michael McLean <laughs> if he's been asked to cooperate with the feds. He says, I've been asked. Well, I've been asked. And then Dave says, well, it would be difficult to cooperate, essentially, in, in light of your friendship with Michael Madigan. And, and he says, well, actually, I'm cons- more concerned about myself. I'm paraphrasing there, of course. What was your re- reaction to that, David? Of course he's worried about his own self-interest. He probably has some culpability here. For one thing, as, as we found in some of our reporting, he uh, continued to lobby, would appear to be lobbying work on behalf of ComEd, even after he no longer registered as a lobbyist. And so he probably does have some personal culpability here. He also realizes that and whatever he's doing these days, it's always tied to Mike Madigan. And anything he would do to betray Mike Madigan, however you de- define betrayal, would be kind of the end of his prestige, his clout, his power, and ultimately his ability to make money. But I think that comment also indicates he's probably worried about, am I going to either be paying huge, huge fines or going to jail over all of this? He's worried less about Mike Madigan and his future. But not so worried to go to such a high-profile restaurant yesterday, Chicago <laughs> Cut. Yeah, you've been writing when about Chicago Cut for years. Yes, That's where you go. Everybody who's anybody hangs out there. I'm sure you got a phone call that he was there, so... <laughs> that alone was stunning. I mean, well, what do you what do you make of that, Tony? I mean, here, I mean, this story's been out for several days. He's not returning calls, but he shows up at a place where he's relatively easy to find. We've been trying to get a hold of McLean for months, and he's not returned the calls, um, not returned emails, not, re- not not anything. Now, we, we do know, um, as we said, that his house has been raided. His uh, phone, it's been reported that his phone line was tapped, so... There's that element of it, but still, you know, we we did all we could to get a hold of him before we published this story to let him know uh, that we had this email from him and and to figure out what are you talking about in it. He never got back to us, and there he goes and has a nice lunch yesterday at Chicago Cut. Uh, McLean lives in in Quincy, and uh, he was a state representative from Quincy, actually, for for several years, about 30 years ago. Um, And then he became a lobbyist, but he does also have a condo in, in the city of Chicago, and so... Um, maybe he's spending some time up here in, in uh, this cold January. I don't know. Well, in a way, you see public officials have no choice but be to be out in public sometimes. Like Ed Burke still goes to city council meetings, for example. But for a private person to have done that is, is you, you do have to wonder a little of bit. Of all the restaurants in the whole city, <laughs> that's, the one, that's the one that he picks. Well, I want to make sure we talk about another part of the email, and that's McLean's reference to Jones's ghost workers. And she just really quickly, when we talk about ghost workers or ghost payroll, explain what that is. It's somebody who has a cushy job but doesn't really have to do anything. They got it as a favor, maybe, uh, and they get to, they get paid, and they don't do anything. And so you have this reference, Tony, to Jones's ghost workers. Any more insight yet about what that means? Well, ghost workers is illegal. That's that's an you can't do that. And in fact, a, a sitting state senator right now, Tom Cullerton, uh, has been indicted on federal charges for for being a ghost payroller. It's it's an alleged allegation. He's denying it. But the feds say that he was on the payroll of the Teamsters and did little to no work. And uh, as a result, he faces 
almost like around 40 counts and 40 indictments on uh, on this. So it's an illegal activity. We uh, it says Jones's ghost workers in this email. This email is about Forrest Ashby. He's kept his mouth shut about on Jones's ghost workers. So Ashby's supervisor, overall supervisor at the time this email was written was uh, Lori Rickman Jones. And uh, she did not return our calls or emails for comment. Uh, she's also married to former Illinois Senate President Emil Jones, who was um, who left the office um, a little more than ten years ago, and was was close with uh, then Governor Rod Blagojevich. He's also known as the political godfather to Barack Obama. Uh, Emil Jones did not return my calls or comment for comment either. So the, the, those two Joneses, uh, we you know didn't reply. That's as much of a connection as I as I have right now. But about ten years ago, there were a lot of stories with a lot of questions raised about whether Jones and or his wife were taking part in that. And those stories just kind of faded. I guess nobody actually proved anything. So when I read your story, I just thought it was bringing up those same issues, whether they were resolved or not. If only somebody on this email would talk to us, we could have some answers. And the term ghost paroling is particularly resonant right now because there's this new thing, sort of ghost lobbying, where some of the allegations about some of the ComEd lobbyists is that they were paid to lobby and actually never really did any lobbying work, and some of those people are associated with Mike Madigan. You're listening to the Friday News Roundup here on Reset. When we break down the biggest news of the week, our panel today, WBEZ's Tony Arnold, David Greising of the Better Government Association, and Shia Kappas of Politico. Some other stories we're following today. Chicago Animal Care and Control caught a coyote yesterday evening on the city's north side. This comes after two reported attacks, a 32-year-old man in Streeterville and a six-year-old boy walking with an adult outside a Lincoln Park museum. Officials say residents should call 311 if they spot a coyote. Federal prosecutors in Chicago say a judge was too lenient in sentencing a man to 16 years in prison for plotting to detonate a car outside a crowded bar. In a court filing made public yesterday, prosecutors asked the 7th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals to vacate the sentence handed to Adil Daoud last year. And Chicago-based Grubhub says it has no plans to sell the company. Grubhub issued a statement after the Wall Street Journal reported yesterday the company is considering a sale. Well, Democratic leaders have tapped State Representative Selena Villanueva to replace former State Senator Martin Sandoval. Tony, just remind us quickly how we got here. Uh, well, we got here because Sandoval resigned his seat because his office got raided by the feds. This is all a part of the, the, the larger investigation. As far as I know, it's unrelated to the email we've been talking about, but it's part of the larger investigation that the feds have been operating, and they did it. When they raided his office, they did it in the middle of the day. It looked like a movie set. Um, they walked out with boxes and envelopes marked evidence. Uh, there's many ways to raid an office. They chose that way to do it in, in, in broad daylight. Since then, Sandoval, he's not been charged with any wrongdoing. In fact, very few people that we've talked to about this this hour has been charged with the wrongdoing. But, but he still uh, ended up resigning his seat. That created this vacancy and this fight. And State Representative uh, uh, Selena ended up getting his seat. She's moving over to the Senate now. Well, Sheila, tell us a little bit more about Representative Villanueva. I think she's part of this new wave that you're going to see in the Senate where um, they're going to have a new president. There are going to be a lot of new members, as a few of these folks have left, who want to make a bigger impact 
in lawmaking in uh, Springfield. And David, she was one of the sponsors of the medical marijuana legislation as well. She was that. She has a background in immigration reform. She also is one of the luckier politicians in the state because I think she got her representative position at first by uh, being appointed Appointed, to fulfill an unfilled term. So she's only had one runs, run one one election and becomes a state senator. So, but yeah, she was a backer along with many others of the new marijuana legalization. Well, I want to turn to one other story before we go to break. Illinois State Comptroller Susanna Mendoza says her office will stop helping Chicago suburbs collect unpaid fines for red light camera violations. She's calling the ticketing system broken and morally corrupt. She was on the show earlier this week. These are lights that initially were granted by the legislature to be put in the most dangerous of intersections where fatalities were occurring and Uh, In actuality, it turns out that the evidence shows that this truly is more of a money grab than it is about keeping our roads safe. David, red light cameras have been controversial for a long time. How significant is this move by Mendoza? Well, I think it's a fairly, uh, it's a smart move on her part to say that there's been all kinds of questions raised about red light cameras. She's right about them being part of a money grab. There have been questions raised about on, on equity grounds, although, frankly, the academic studies do indicate that there are valid questions as to whether or not there's an argument out there that African Americans have been disproportionately affected by red light cameras. But there's a lot of academic data now coming out saying maybe that's not uh, just the case. And of course, in the latest context of all these <laughs> investigations, everything tracks back to the investigations. Uh, among the information sought from uh, Martin Sandoval's office was some um, uh, safe speed, the big red light camera contractor, and information about connections. They were a huge, huge political donor. He was one of their, I think, the largest recipient of their largesse of more than like in the area of 400 some thousand over the last few years that they've given out to political candidates. So um, I think uh, Susanna Mendoza is probably backing away from that. The idea that the state controller would be the tax collector, be the heavy to, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. to collect. Yeah. It doesn't make her very popular uh, with people. So she's backing away from all of this. Well, and they stopped collecting those fines in Chicago a, a, a while ago. It's just taking a little time for it to filter out to the suburbs. Yeah. Well, and she's leaving it up to individual communities to decide how they want to uh, gather up that money. She just doesn't want to be part of it. Well, Illinois is now the 11th state to legalize recreational marijuana as of New Year's Day. And it's been a little over a week now. Shia, how is that going? I think it's on par with what other states have experienced. Um, Lines are long because not all of the uh, facilities are open up yet. They're running out of product for recreational, not for medicinal. The state's made a point of saying they have plenty for all the patients that need it out there. And they're just waiting for the next round of uh, dispensaries to open to see if it'll dissipate the crowds a little bit. How surprised were you all to see these lines on New Year's Day? Because I was just, you know, going through my Twitter feed and watching people complain about the, you know, three, four, five hour wait, Tony. (laughs) When I saw the lines, I was kind of like... You know it's for sale tomorrow too, right? Like you can just and in wait twenty four hours and, and it might not it's be like so bad. It's it's, it's legal for the yeah. foreseeable future. So um maybe you don't have to spend the whole day on a, on New Year's Day. Uh but you know, people I think maybe they wanted to make a point that um look what I can do and so I'm going to and they I have this right now. 
I think that may have mo- motivated more people. Than, and I think uh, some of it was about being powers. part of this moment, too. There was a lot of that. The, the actual the numbers are that Oregon and Illinois now are tied for the most successful first five days mm-hmm. in the ten, among the 11 states that have launched so far. And um, there is a feeling of something really has transformed here and will tell over time. Economists that, that I've talked to and, and, and read their work indicate that these opening weeks are not necessarily an indication of the strength of the market. And so when you have a governor who's budgeted $170 million in tax revenue for this year, it's really tricky to do that. Uh, Nevada turned out to be 40% above its estimates. California turned out to be 40% below its estimates for its first year of launch. And so it's really, really, you know, we shouldn't take this and say, oh, wow, Illinois is going to be a huge success. We do not know, and we won't know for some time. Plus, the governor's office has pulled back the numbers. Uh, it seems like every month the revenue numbers seem less and less than they were initially when they first talked about it uh, earlier in the year last year. So, Well, several recreational marijuana dispensaries, as you said, she had supply shortages, forcing some to close earlier this week. And here's State Representative Kelly Cassidy talking about her concern when it comes to medical patients. I want to make sure that the cultivators and the, the dispensaries are, are conforming with the law as we wrote it to make sure that patients are prioritized. And, you know, we had a couple of dispensary uh, folks on the show earlier this week, and they talked about really trying to make sure they take care of those medical patients. So there's going to be a delay for people who are just looking for recreational they've, weed. They've got to do more than try. They're legally obligated to take care of the medical mm-hmm. patients. And so they're not just being good people in doing this. They're legally obligated to do this. But part of what was interesting about that conversation was the fact that the supply chain is really a question because this is not something where you can, you know, bake a cookie and you've got enough cookies the next day. This is a product that has to Talking grow. About marijuana cookies? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, we're just, we're yeah. just, well, marijuana, it has to grow, it, it has to it be takes cured. About three it takes months time. from the time you plant a seed until you can have a plant, harvest a plant. It took Colorado two years to double its initial outcome uh, from, from growers. And so, uh, when you talk about this phenomenon here, Illinois is going to take a little while to catch up with demand, although most people say that you're not going to be waiting in line necessarily anymore, but there will probably be periodic shortages. I, other states enjoy the lines. Like people talk about there are always lines at the dispensary and people bring music and they're passing out food. Are these people and it's in, kind of in a the Midwest in Chicago thing. with <laughs> the winter the way it is? Because it's a kumbaya thing. Everybody's yeah. happy to be in line. Well, I don't so. know. When it's 20, both low zero. I'm not feeling uh, maybe, real maybe kumbaya. The Black Caucus <laughs> was trying to hold off the Chicago launch till July 1st, so maybe uh, they were thinking about the, the yeah, lines. Right. Who knows? Yeah. No, it's well, an equity well, issue they were looking at. Well, Governor Pritzker is part in thousands of low-level marijuana convictions in the state as part of his effort to correct some of the wrongs from the war on drugs. And the state is making moves to include so-called social equity applicants to diversify its weed industry. But David, what's your sense about how that's working right now? Well, it, I made reference to the Black Caucus. The Black Caucus has said we don't have enough African-American investors involved in this business. We've had these many, many years where African-Americans were disproportionately affected by the criminalization of marijuana. And now that marijuana is going to le- – recreational pot is becoming legal, there's been a disproportionate disinvestment that, that most of the investment money has gone to white investors. And so uh, this is a huge problem. Problem. It's great to see Governor Pritzker emphasize this on the day of the launch. It also, going back to what she has said, it was also a little bit of a backtracking for him because mm-hmm. he's now no longer touting this because of it's going to be the huge thing to save Illinois' budget. Well, there's also concern about how some of these business partnerships may work because if they're 
is a business partnership with a minority applicant, how much ownership do they really have of, of the company? And that's a big question, and we won't have that answered for a long time, Shia. We won't have it for a long time. There are uh, some companies. I know Cresco is t- trying to do a really good job of training minority dispensary owners, and they're going to award, I'm not sure how many uh, dispensaries to these folks, and they would be partners in the Cresco company. And they seem really committed to it. And I think a few other companies are as well. It's just something that takes time. You can't just you yeah, know give part, somebody the dispensary. Part of the ultimate shape of the industry will be determined by the taxing policies. There was a study about Washington State, which was taxing at every stage of production for pot, and that led to a very quick what they call vertical integration, meaning that a lot of the smaller companies were bought up by the larger operators. So the taxing in Illinois is at the mainly at the retail level, and so that should help some of these startups survive. But look at the money that's going into marijuana. This is not going to be a mom-and-pop industry for very long. There ultimately will be consolidation. The real question is, do we get enough people in at the ground floor so when they do get bought out, there is an equity aspect to who gets rich from the the land rush into marijuana? Well, the Inspector General for Chicago Public Schools released his annual report this week. It exposed incidents of sexual misconduct, residency fraud, and mismanagement in the school district. Shia, talk a little bit more about what was in that report. The biggest problem with CPS is they don't have enough people going out to check on residency. They don't have enough follow-up on all these reports for about abuse. Um, so it's surprising that we, we hear the same things in, in a report year after year. Um, well, Inspector General Schuler joined us on Reset earlier this week to talk about the report. Let's take a listen. I mean, some of these classic problems that Chicago's, I think, had are, are typified by the, the kind of the bigger cases in our report this year, things that touch on insider dealing, you know, preferential treatment, fairness of the system, you know, and, and hopefully our IG office, other IG offices can help kind of create a culture change. Well, David, the inspector general is calling for wider culture change, but what, what do you think it would take for that to actually happen? Uh, wow. Wow. Um, uh, I guess we'll see how long under a new mayor, um, you know, whether you can get culture change going that way. We certainly have been given any number of reasons, not just through the IG's office, but through the extraordinary reporting the Tribune did last year on sexual harassment in the schools and now this this, uh, uh, reporting about the way children are being restrained in schools. Uh, things like people feeling cavalier about the fact that they live in Mokina or Hazelcrest and are not Chicago residents, that also reflects cultural problems. One of the great things about having IGs is that they have the time and and sometimes the resources to to really make change happen. In this particular case, the CPS IG has been allocated as a result of the sexual harassment stuff an additional 30 spots, but they've only filled 15 of those spots. And so once they get fully staffed, uh, they may really be able to force through the sort of cultural change you're asking about, Jen. And to be clear, they're forming a unit specifically to address these issues of, of sexual abuse. You're listening to the Friday News Roundup here on Reset. Our panel today includes Shia Kappas of Politico, David Greising of the Better Government Association, and WBEZ's Tony Arnold. Well, new government data in indicates that Illinois will lose at least one seat in 2021. Shia, what can you tell us about that? Uh, Well, the population keeps dropping, especially downstate. 
Uh, I know there's been a lot of talk about uh, the African-American population in Chicago dropping, and there a few people talked to me uh, a week or so ago saying that means that we could lose uh, seats up north, but it doesn't appear, based on the most recent data, that that will happen. Uh, we'll, we'll most likely lose only one seat from uh, downstate, and it will require redistricting that will mean uh, some of those congressional seats will um, will pick up uh, one of the seats and we'll have one less. I mean, Tony, talk about the impact that could have on the state. Well, it's the shrinking influence of, of Illinois and in, in Washington, D.C. It's not the first time that the state's lost a congressional seat. And so this is just another example of it. And, and if uh, I, would, I would have to guess, this is uh, an educated guess, but it's still a guess that um, it's not going to be a Democratic seat that's going to be end up being lost here uh, in Illinois uh, downstate, that they're going to, the people drawing the maps will have a way to make sure that it's um, Republicans pitting Republican against Republican. Well, Representative Dan Lipinski of Illinois' 3rd Congressional District made headlines this week. Let's listen. Democratic Congressman Dan Lipinski is taking heat for teaming up with Republicans who are trying to get Roe v. Wade overturned. Today, more than 200 members of Congress signed this legal brief urging the Supreme Court to uphold a Louisiana law that severely restricts abortions. Now, Mayor Lori Lightfoot called Lipinski out on Twitter over the weekend. She says it's time for him to go. David, just explain what's happening in this story a little more. Well, he was one of the very few Democrats who signed that, along with 200 uh, lawmakers nationwide. Um, and, and the timing is really important because given the changes in the Supreme Court, uh, there is really a lot of concern about the future of Roe v. Wade. And so this request to have it looked at again is is important. This isn't just noise. And also it happens in the context of the fact that he's in a really tough race with Marie Newman, whom he beat by just about 2,000 votes last time. And she landed endorsements from Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders recently. Right, right. And so this is really probably the most unwelcome part. I doubt he's very worried about what Lori Lightfoot thinks about him. Uh, what the, what was it, 28 mayors who have endorsed him think about him is probably not just more important to him, but also to his election chances. Those are the people and represent the constituency that really would put him back in Congress if, in fact, he is so fortunate. But before we wrap up, I just want to quickly hear what you'll be following in the coming days and weeks. Starting with you, Shia. Well, next week, I'm going to keep trying to find out what's going to happen with the Senate president position that's come open uh, a week from Sunday. The state senators will vote on who their next Senate president will be. And so everybody's wondering what which way will they go? That in addition to that, the Senate uh, Transportation Committee chairmanship uh, and other uh, committee leadership positions will be filled. Looking ahead to you know the opening of the 2020 legislative session, and especially the ethics reform uh, panel that has been appointed and some of the work that they will begin doing. They've had one meeting so far, and the real work is now about to begin. Tony, I think I know the answer to this question for you, but tell us anyway. I'll just be looking to see... um who's investigating this email and what answers we can get about uh, that we spent so much time talking about this uh, for the first half of the show. That's it for the Friday News Roundup. Thanks to our panel today, WBEZ's Tony Arnold, Shia Kappas of Politico, and David Greising of the Better Government Association. Everybody, thanks. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. And that's today's action-packed reset. Keep in touch with the show via Twitter. We're at WBEZ Reset, and I'm at Jay White Pub Radio. And check out your phone Sunday morning for the weekend edition of the podcast. Until then, I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend, and let's talk again soon.